Welcome to Tilth Talk Radio. Today we're going to talk about what it means to be an independent agronomist. In our spotlight, we're going to look at CNH acquiring Raven Industries. In our Ag History Minute, we'll talk a little bit about the history of Raven Industries. And we'll wrap things up with our cool beans, that's corny, and some current events. So with me today are Bill Schomburg. Hey guys. Max Garvey. What's up everybody? Todd Schomburg. Hey to all the Tilthies out there. And I'm Matt Brueger, all with Tilth Agronomy. Well, here we are. No big Packer news to talk about because it was the bye week last week. And that's the end of our podcast with no Packer news. (laughs) (laughs) See you guys on next week's episode. Some listeners will be happy that we're not talking sports today. Oh, there's 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 big news. I'd say the Bucks went up and down, but yeah, there's big news on the Packers front. Jair Alexander returned to practice this week. Yeah, yeah, that's big news. Kurt Bankhart is on the uh, active roster after Jordan Love went on the COVID list. So. Four and a half years in the league, he's never suited up before. So really, yep, wow. It's Quick trip, time. Kurt. They're calling him. Yeah. Quick trip. He's Kurt. a he's a great follow on Twitter. He if is. You don't don't have got, him already. I don't know if Quick Trip like sponsors him somehow, but he's like in with Quick Trip with something. So Quick Trip, Kurt. He's, uh, so does that mean if he goes, if he were to go in the game at any point, they would play that da 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 da? Get the, the, That's the his trip. entrance music. Yeah, so walk up. Hey, he. You never know. He might play this weekend. We're gonna be up by so much in the fourth quarter. Yeah, yeah. Kurt's gonna have to go in. Kurt. Oh, da bears. Yep, da bears. Fields is back. So. Oh, are they getting Fields back? This yeah. Week? Bears, no, no more Andy Dalton. Bears fans have to have PS, PTSD about playing Aaron Rodgers at Lambeau in December. Like it's just got to be a daunting week for them. They have to know like how bad it's going to be. I, I don't saw, think at Lambeau. I think at any time in December. How many times did like that whole John Kuhn block and Julius Peppers and the bomb to to Cobb, um, and then a couple years ago the bomb to Jordy? Wasn't that in? Yeah. In, uh, Rodgers just gets in a di- on a different level when it gets cold out, I think. But he owns them. He owns them. I yeah. mean, when you own some something, you just it's up there. It's true. Jimmy Graham r- responded that he isn't bothered by Rodgers owning him. He just said they have, they have to be better. So he's got it all fi- figured out, Jimmy Graham. Is Jimmy Graham on the Bears? Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's where he's ended wow. up. Wow. Yeah, mm. I didn't know that. He's, he's obviously ripping it up, Todd. Yeah. If you, if you totally Second or that. third year in the Bears? Yeah, at least. Yeah, he's been there a little while. Yeah. I, I saw Bears fans begging for the game to be flexed out of prime time. <laughs> really? Yeah, I mean, did you watch? Would game? you want to be embarrassed in prime time? No, no. Did like you, did the, you... the Bears Packer game to be flexed right. out. Right. Yeah. The only thing better would be the Lions winning in prime time. The Vic- yeah. Did you watch the Vikings last night? That was yep. a good game. They almost lost twenty nine nothing, and they still almost lost. They were and up. and really they did. I mean. I, the last play of the game, Roethlisberger put it right on the money, and yeah. Fryermuth just couldn't hang on to the ball. No, well, it's a good hit, but he get punched out. Yeah, yeah but I mean, like you say, it was a tough catch. But it was a tough throw. But and when was the last time you saw Roethlisberger look like a serviceable quarterback? Not, you know, and he looked great in the second half. Yeah. It was vintage, like big, tough, throwing the ball all over the yard. It was fun. I was texting back and forth with my buddy who was a Vikings fan during the game, and he's like. This team, I just, I just expect this is what's going to happen. <laughs> he was not having it. So, well, you know what they say. What the difference between a car and the Minnesota Vikings is? At least a car has a title. 
Never heard that one before. Never heard that one before, yeah. No, it's a good one. All right, you guys ready to get into the main topic for today? Oh, yeah. All right, so this week we're going to talk a little bit about what we do and what it means to be an independent agronomist. So, Todd, what do you get for us? Yeah, this started, I had a lot of time last week to look on Egg Talk, and so read through many and many a thread, which I like to, but I was just sort of catching up. And there was three threads that jumped out, um, all posted by J.B. Groover, and it's at the end he wrote Joel W.I.U. Agriculture. So to credit him, um, and he basically was posting many different questions about farming and working with an agronomist and kind of what the opinions were out there. And the one that caught my eye was he said, if you are an agronomist and also farm, how does a how does observing many more acres, technologies, management styles than your own impact the way you farm? So basically it was kind of a look at how does, you know, how, if you do both, what do you see, you know, when you look at that and how do you change how you farm? He also had some other posts of like who the best agronomists are out there and how have agronomists significantly changed the way you farm and just a bunch of responses to all of them. And so we're going to kind of talk a little bit about that today and highlight some. Do you guys have any way? I mean, I know technically we kind of farm and we run plots and some of that, but I wouldn't say any of us here farm. So that's a little different, but I guess, is there anything, Max, that you think that, you know, being sort of both or putting yourself in farmer's shoes would impact the way you would farm? Well, I think, I think I have a really good idea of how I would run it if I was farming, like, by being able to see, say you go to 25 farms a week, right? That's 25 independent research trials going on at once, right? Because no two farms are being run the same. Right. So you essentially you're getting to look at 25 different, different ways of doing things. Mm-hmm. And the more ways you can look at it, I think the more success you're going to have, right? Um, I found out a lot about this job is about mitigating risk, right? We finding ways to spread out our risk throughout the year is a huge deal. Well, 25 different management styles provides 25 different opportunities to have success. So, um, I think, I think that, it's, that's uh, a good point though. In farms, you got to find ways to mitigate risk. Yeah. The, yeah. This whole, I, I get the question once in a while, like, well, how much yield are you going to bring me in? To be honest with you, I don't, I think sometimes we can help lift yields. Right. I mean, it's definitely possible. Right. But, a lot of these guys are around and farming because they kind of know what they're doing already. A lot of times I feel like I lean more towards my job being about mitigating risk, um, you know, spreading it out and trying to cover all our bases and and stay in good shape and, and doing things cost effectively rather than just trying to hit that higher yield monitor number. I think, I mean, to me, that's, you're you're looking more on the cost of production side and return. I'd say I'm 75 cost of production and risk reduction and 25% yield. Yeah. If somebody asks you how many, how much yield are you going to bring them? It's well, well, how much you want to spend? I mean, you can buy yield all day long on some things, but you gotta, gotta look at your bottom line and keep yourself. You should say I could, my effort would be to make you more profitable. Yeah, usually, right. usually my answer is, how about we keep the same yield and do it for seven or for twenty five percent less cost? Mm-hmm. Let's let's make that our goal and start there. And that that usually is a that usually is a head turner to hear numbers like that. But I don't think it's un, unachievable either. I mean, that's pretty. Don't feel bad, Max. I've gotten that 
two already? Like, how much are you going to bring me? I'm not going to sign up unless you bring me this. It's like, well, the weather has so much to do with it. Your timing has so much to do with it. I mean, there's so many factors that go into whether we are successful or not. And and there's farms who, who, you know, I've been lucky enough to work with where we have seen significant yield improvements since I started there. But I would say the vast majority of guys that, that we're working with now is more... Um, better budgeting more than anything. Timing, I yeah. mean, that's huge. Yeah, timing's a big part of it. You, you can't really go into a given year and say, oh, yeah, I'm going to get you X number of bushels because exactly what Bill said before, you know, weather, we can't predict the weather no matter how, how hard we try. Um, timing's going to be a big thing. You need to be able to kind of move on the fly, keep an eye on things, and that's something I think we do with our scouting is, you know, yeah. we're out there monitoring the crops. It's not just like, well, plan it, forget it. If I get time, I'll go out there and look at it. No, you got to be kind of on top of it. And I had that thought, Matt, as you were talking here, like all four of us here on this podcast, that's probably a huge part of our summer is just timing an application, no matter what the application it is, is just helping plan out those applications, when we're going to do it based on the weather, based on when the person that's going to spread it is available, just kind of coordinating things. And, and that, that can bring, that can bring a lot of yield really. I think, I think another one, another big reason that um, some guys enjoy working with us is, and I know Bill, I know you fall into this category a little bit, I guess Matt and Todd, if you guys think you do too, but I've seen firsthand that Bill gets involved with this side of it is we're a secretary for the cropping departments right? Mm-hmm. We do it where we run a lot of in- interference between the farm and the co-op or the custom applicators, right? Um, some of these farm managers, they don't have time. They just flat out don't have time or don't have the want to deal with custom applicators. And uh, I find myself picking up the slack there and that's well, fine. I mean, well, and what, what my job is kind of, like you said, Max, it, it basically it's like, well, I don't know the products. You know the products. That's your job to know the products and how they work. And then you throw in all these generics and all these other things that have different names. That's your job to figure it out. You know what you want to recommend. Why are you telling me to then tell the co-op? Like For it to get, I mean, you're playing a game of telephone at that right, point, right? right? And things, we've all seen it. Things get lost, right? We write it down. We you know, and and I will say for me, maybe not so much you guys if that isn't part of your business, but it's a, a lot more time for me because you're you go throughout the day, not complaining, but you go throughout your day, you come up with everything you have to do, and then you got to find time to make those communications with the co-op. Usually for me, it's late at night when the hustle and bustle of the household calms down. Yeah, I. But like you said before, you know, some farms are okay. They don't really. You know, you talked about it in January, what we're going to do, and as long as you're not deviating from the plan a whole lot, they don't need to hear it. Yep. They, they just want you to handle it, and that's 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 not hard. You know? Well, it goes back to your management styles. and like Some farms do their own spraying, so you're you're communicating with that. And, and those in those instances, then you're getting the questions of, well, okay, do I have to put NIS in? Do I have to do, you know, can I use ammonium sulfate? Should I use something else, crop oil? You get into some of those minutia, whereas the custom applicator you're pretty much most of the time just telling them what products you want to use. So it, it, it varies depending on the farm. You know, like you said, Max, before you're 25 different farms, could be 25 different management styles, and you have to be able to adapt to what fits best in that situation. And Matt, do you have an answer to that question or something that spawned in your head when, when that came about? What was the question again? I got lost in all our talking. <laughs> 
So basically, if you were an agronomist and also farm, mm-hmm. how would you change how you farm? Yeah, I think one of the benefits to seeing all these different situations is you get to kind of look at objectively what each farm is doing and kind of pick out good habits, bad habits, you know, things that you can can pull on and, and try differently. Like, okay, this guy does one thing and another farm might do the same thing but in a different way. Is one better than the other? Is it the same thing? You know, kind of start to narrow down the minutia of what what is really making the difference here. Is it how we're doing it, just using a product, just using um, situation to, like Max said, gain that plot, you know, that that data that you can use somewhere else. So, yeah, I, th- I think it's a big benefit to see multiple ways of doing things because you'll see that there is more than one way to skin a cat, which... I've always thought that saying was funny. I don't know how many people sit there and try to figure out different ways of skinning a cat. I don't think there... I, I mean, I've, I've skinned a couple cats. I don't think... <laughs> actually, <laughs> one. Has that been our egg idiom? I was going to say, we need an egg idiom we, we, where that came cat, from. And yeah. Keep I've, that on I've the list. I've never thought right. about, oh, I want to skin a I, cat today. I, I took an anatomy and physiology class, and we, we had to skin a cat, yeah. actually, for that class. And there, sure. there's definitely only one way. Like, <laughs> Rip and go. Yeah, I mean it's pretty pretty standard. I mean if you've if you've heard skin a deer, it's pretty much the same, right? <laughs> but yeah, but yeah, I think when you when you get down to it, you you learn a lot about different ways of management, and you learn that yeah, sometimes you can do the the right thing and still have it fail, and you can do the wrong thing and get lucky, and uh, not necessarily I shouldn't call it the wrong thing, but you can do do something or the, not do something and get the same results. And then it, you know, really makes you think and, and go, okay, we got to do this again. We got to figure out, okay, is this, you know, what's the driver here? Was it the weather? Was it whatever? And yeah, it leads us to asking more questions, learning more and in gaining more knowledge in our, our profession, which is a good thing. I think it's funny that you, you corrected yourself from the wrong thing. Uh, we have on a couple of farms, we talk about different options and we have, you know, the first option, and then I always refer to it as the less good option, <laughs> right? Because it's still but, good-ish. But it's don't you guys less think? Good. I mean, like you try to make the best decision with the, the information you have, right? So you're sitting here today. You have the information in front of you. Make a decision, and three days from now, you can look back and go, "Yeah, that was the wrong decision." But that's only because you saw the outcome of the decision you made. So, but I think, Bill, that gets too where agronomists do help is you see so many of those outcomes. You're right. And over years you see so many of those iterations and outcomes that all of a sudden you go, yeah, we not, and I don't want to say there is times where you have outcomes that were, were negative and wrong. It doesn't mean it's going to happen again. That's the hard part is kind of weighing that out. And that's where you pull in trials and we look at research to show, okay, here's what the research would show. But I would say it helps is especially in a crop farm is basically you have like, I mean, say you're going to farm for 40 years of your life. You have 40 growing seasons. Mm-hmm. That's 40 times only that you get to try something. I mean, that's not that's not a lot yeah. at all. That, that is, in fact, that's if you think about very little. Where like on the dairy farm or something like that, you can make a change today in the way you feed those cows, and the bulk tank is going to show you tomorrow whether that worked or not. In a cornfield, you can make a change this year, and it's going to show you at the end of the year. Now you only got thirty more, you know, yep. times well, and, to try. Like and, it doesn't, and and we all know that even if you make it, if you make a change to your corn crop this year, that doesn't mean anything. Uh, like, the weather could change those, that completely. Right, yes. right. It takes 
for me to make a truly comfortable recommendation, I have to see, and it's hard for me to say because I've been doing this for six or seven years now, but I feel like five years you got to see it to really feel confident that it's doing what you think it is, you know? I think in my head what popped in after we were talking and you kind of reinforced it, Bill, was using an example of um, I curl with some buddies of mine from high school and we call it, you know, you're, you're making a shot and you want to take the shot. You're trying to hit a certain point on a, on one of the stones or whatever. And if it doesn't go the right way, then you do plan B. And plan B is sometimes, you know, a benefit that you didn't see but came to realize after, you know, you saw where things were going. And that's kind of to your point, Bill, of three days later, sometimes you see it or maybe you were in a spray and it rained like cats and dogs the next day and you can't get out there for three weeks and you have to make a, a change that, you know, you now will never know in that situation if the first thing would have worked because, you know, plants rained. might grow yeah. beyond the point of chemical we were going to use. Now we have to be able to shift to plan B and seeing those multiple iterations, seeing those different management styles chances are we've seen that situation before or at least something like it and we can help it helps us you know make those adjustments bill do you have anything to add to the question i think um i got thinking too as well but i think some of it if like versus just being an agronomist and not a farmer and an agronomist i think if you're a farmer and an agronomist you you you're in their shoes you know you see the like we know what things cost right but it's their money it's not our money so if you're a farmer along with an agronomist, you can kind of sit in their shoes and go, oh, yeah, that bill came. I, and, you know, you can kind of really. But I, I think that can be good and bad because I think there's sometimes too where even though it's spending a lot of money on something or something, it's still maybe worth it. Sure. That's where I, you know, we have other advisors, like a financial advisor that you work with or, you know, there's other people, you know, even your doctor is somebody that, mm-hmm. you know, as the, as the patient in that case or the client you still got to make the decision for yourself. Right. And you're just talking to those people to try to help you make a better decision for yourself. I, and so it is sometimes nice to have that person, you know, and I, like I said, I have those people in my life and I'm that to some people as their agronomist where they can sort of, you know, spell out the problem or we can talk through the problem. I can help them make the decisions, But at the end of the day, like you said, it's their money, it's their farm, it's their decision. So you, you kind of try to, help as much as you can and take some of that burden off of it being tough, but it's still at the end of the day, it's, it's, it can be a tough. Well, and what's the biggest thing you guys have talked to your growers about in the last month? I mean, me, it's, it's been fertilizer, fertilizer, right? Yeah. Like when do we spend it? Do we? And it's like, you know, some guys are like, Nope, we're not gonna. And some guys are like, well, I gotta feed my crops. So we're still going to spend it, you know? So you you can kind of get to the feel of how those conversations go because you're part of it too as a farmer agronomist. I I had, I was consulted on this week, and it was we it was different. You know what I mean? Like it, I felt I felt like what it feels like when I come to visit a farm. You know, yeah. I I had, I had some a lawyer look over some documents for me, and it was the same thing though. It was it was funny because he was saying the same things that I say when I go to farms, like hey, here's what I would do, but you're in your own situation, like you're saying. Like, you know, you have to make the decision that's best for you. But in my experience, you know, when you have this, this, and this, this is kind of the outcome here. So um, it's we're not that different from another consultant. We just have our specialty, right? Well, and that kind of plays back into what we talked about in the beginning with, you know, your different circumstances are going to make, make you 
adjust and seeing those different circumstances helps when maybe one farm is adjusting one way or another that you can say, okay, well, the alternative to this is, you know, or I've seen this work or, yeah, okay, if we're not going to do that, let's do this. And, um, you know, if we were just farming ourselves, a lot of times I think you get tunnel vision where, you know, well, I've always done this and it works. I'm not going to change or uh, sometimes you make those decisions based on how you know, dad, dad, dad did, did it or, or what yep. I saw one time growing up. And, and, and not that, that that's a bad thing necessarily, but sometimes you need to be able to make adjustments. Yeah. I do I do hear sometimes from from different growers and stuff that you know we're still we're doing it the way we were doing it in the 90s and we're still getting you know we're getting 170 bushel corn every year like that's good isn't it and it is but you were doing it in the 90s and how far advanced are we from the 90s should we be able to get better than that right and I think that's where um the the worldly view I'm using my air quotations here the worldly view that we have by being on so many different um, operations and seeing so many different things or what they call it, the thousand foot view, I guess would be a good way to put it. Um, I, you get to really compare a lot of different ways and different met, there's different metrics to look at things and all sorts of stuff like that, that I, I don't think unless you have that have to, I don't think you really look into those. So one of the next things on egg talk. So like I said, that was sort of the first, um, or might've been the last one I get. No, it was the first, um, post in there and then they had the same guy posted some other questions and one of the other ones was um basically has working with an agronomist significantly changed the way you farm um and that one was fun to read because there was some people being realistic that no you know no it hasn't i don't want an agronomist or you know it was probably the majority were were comfortable with an agronomist and had somebody they they like working with and they had made some changes um, one of the best posts was from Hin Farm, and they're located in Amherst, Wisconsin. And it says, if I could hire a good independent agronomist, I would. Even though I am a CCA myself, I'd like another angle to look at things. And I thought that was a really good way to say it. You know, obviously, he's got the credential of a CCA himself, but he, he wants somebody else there that's there to challenge him, bounce ideas off of, and sort of kind of not get stagnant or stale and 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 matt may yeah so i think i might know this guy yeah okay um so and i thought he made a good point too of this having independent agronomists and um we are part of the state organization of wapac which is the wisconsin association of professional agricultural agriculture consultants. consultants man i get mixed up still um and the, there's other agriculture consultants in there like um nutritionists and veterinarians and some engineers but um there's also agronomists in there and then nationally we're part of the national alliance of independent crop consultants and that has um different types of members or crop consultants there's contract research consultants and quality assurance consultants and basically as independent crop consultants you provide a and right from their website i'll read it is full range of services to growers in integrated crop farm management programs working directly with farmers on a daily basis, advising them in areas such as watershed management, integrated pest management, animal waste management, global informational systems technology, and research trials. The primary mission of these professionals is implementing scientific and technologi technological advances 
to enhance environmental sustainability and profitability on clients' farms. So I, I don't know who over at NACC wrote that, but I thought it did sum up really well of, you know, what what it means to be independent and how kind of that important that is because it gets you that um, it's not a retail person trying to sell you a product. It's somebody there, you know, trying to help the farm as much as they can. Well, I think that gets into the independent part really well of, yeah, we're there and, and yeah, we, we do cost you money, but we're not trying to sell you anything but our service. We're not, we're not like, oh, well, I saw three army worms, so you should definitely spray. And by the way, here's XYZ chemical that I happen to sell. And, and let's be real, too, as a retail agronomist, costs you a lot, too, even though you're not paying it directly to them. Is right. They're getting paid through your product that you're purchasing from them. And I, I, I hear that sometimes, you know, we obviously we try and we're trying to talk to growers and you know pick up a grower here and there and they'll say well i already get it for free from the co-op and i it always i always giggle on the inside like well are you getting it for free though that's like i bought a thousand dollar gun and i got a free hat you know that's one of those deals where you're like it's kind of free but it's not entirely free at least with your seed you get points for like chainsaws and stuff it's like when you used to buy a cell phone and you paid 19.99 for free 100 minutes yeah, I have no idea. Yeah, Bill, what we that's don't know. Like. What don't, you don't know that. <laughs> I know he Max doesn't, but no, I mean kind of. I guess. Yeah, I or, guess. I guess. Or remember back when, when it was like five cents a text when you would send yeah. a text. They used to price phones like that. Like you paid a certain fee, and then they would say hundred minutes for free. Mm-hmm. Remember, we used to buy. We used to have to buy long distance calling cards. I remember doing that. Yeah, yeah. is that like the same thing? Kind of. Okay. But my, what I'm getting at is, you paid 19.99 for those hundred minutes. They weren't free. Yeah, you know that they marketed it nineteen ninety nine for a hundred free minutes. Okay, I got gotcha. you. I uh, I'm just looking through this thread here really quick, and it's funny. This work has working with an agronomist significantly changed the way you farm. That question, and I guess it doesn't say it in the question, but it just says agronomist. It doesn't say independent. And a lot of these responses are all are, are people that work with a, a supplier agronomist, and they're. The way they look at agronomy is a lot different than I guess the way I look at it. We'll put it that way. It's a nice way. It's a nice way to put it. Well, I, you know, I think the thing I've heard that from guys, and a lot of times it's like joking or you know poking, not necessarily serious, but it's the idea of like, well, they're they're doing the same thing you're doing for X price. I'm like, mm, are they though? I mean, yeah, they they can be cheaper as they you know label a specific service, but are they doing the same job or, you know, are they just getting more money out of you somewhere else? And, and not that all retail agronomists are evil and pl- and sit there and just throw stuff at you that they, they don't, you don't really need, but you know, there is, I think there is a need to have a good relationship with your retail agronomist as well, yeah. especially in a tight fertilizer time. And then making sure, you know, we always kind of look at it like a triangle. That was the old Jeff Polinsky. You had the, you know, the farmer on top and then you had the retail agronomist and then us. us on the other side that, you know, that we're all communicating well talking because if, if that relationship isn't good, the farmer loses, mm-hmm. you know, because mm-hmm. then all of a sudden, you know, the retail guy is mad that we didn't recommend something and, you know, vice versa. We're mad that the retail guy didn't pushed it, something or, or didn't get it done or right. And when that kind of breaks down, the farmer loses. So like I said, I think farm, you know, 
as long as the farmer has a good relationship, trusting relationship with that person, um, they, and they're being taken care of, that's the most important part. And yeah, I think, like you said, that's we do have relationships with those guys. We work with those guys. It's not not like you have to have one over the other. That that system can work. It's just a little bit more tenuous at times. Sometimes. Yeah, so shout out and thank you to J.B. Groover, Joel at WIU Ag Agriculture, posting on uh, multiple stuff on you know, the crop forum on Ag Talk. So I always like to see a bunch of people's real responses to that kind of stuff. I just happened to look up WIU and the Western Illinois University. I thought it was funny. Their, their, their W's the gang sign with like the cross middle finger, oh, yeah, ring like, finger, like... like because yeah. then Bill, yeah, was making the UWW. Where it's the two, yeah, the yeah. two V's from each of your, well, yeah. almost like two L's, like you're making. It's so there. easy to do, though, like what you're doing, man. Is yeah. Like, yeah, it's, it's hard to yeah. take your ring in your middle and get it. And I, I was just thinking like of it, that was West Side. Oh, yeah. You know, gang symbols. Well, it, is West, it is West Side, West Side of Illinois. <laughs> yes, West Side of Illinois. All right, so there you go. That's a little bit about what an independent, yeah, independent, yes, independent agronomist is and how we operate. So now we'll go into our spotlight for today. So CNH Industrial completed its acquisition of Raven Industries. So on November 30th, CNH Industrial announced that acquisition. The deal was first announced in late June and said to be for $2.1 billion dollars. Bill, do you remember getting, like, one of our first GPS, our second GPS was a Raven. Yeah. Yeah, and I remember even having a lot of precision egg stuff on the farm growing up. Carl had a Raven thing that we used, and some of it, I mean, they were, like, the original. It's amazing to think, like, the, the square black boxes with the indented buttons, like the square little buttons you had, and there's a thousand, you know, one, two, three, four, five. You could change just to what it is now is, like, a touch screen. Yeah. <laughs> you know? just how things change over time i'm surprised raven hadn't sold already or that yeah i don't know i just that they were still going is, is pretty neat so and matt this ties into our next one so yeah so our egg history minute today is about raven industries so established in 1956 to make high altitude balloons Raven was launched by a group of General Mills employees, including General Mills High Altitude Research Division employee Ed Yost. Yost claimed to pick Sioux Falls, South Dakota, for its favorable wind conditions. After its establishment, the company's product offerings expanded to include items such as commercial and recreational hot air balloons, electronics manufacturing, large plastic storage containers for use in agriculture, pickup toppers, and winter outerwear, and finally, Raven, along with Picard Balloons and Semco, were among the first manufacturers of hot air balloons that kicked off the resurgence of ballooning in the mid-1960s. In fact, Ed Yost began this series of events when he built and flew a 40-foot, 12 or 12-meter, 12 diameter balloon a distance of 3 miles on October 22, 1960. Raven subsequently built and sold the first modern hot air balloons beginning in the mid-60s. In recent years, the company streamlined its operations, closed a number of divisions, and sold subsidiaries to reduce the company 
to its precision agriculture, engineered films, and Aerostar divisions. Stock in the company was traded on NASDAQ until this year when it was acquired by CNH Industrial. So to go from hot air balloons to GPS equipment is pretty big, pretty big jump. I didn't know they made anything other than precision ag equipment. No. Yeah. I like that it started, like, they picked the city on favorable wind conditions. Like, yeah. that's about to make, yeah, weather balloons. And I didn't know General Mills would have a high-altitude research division, right. you know, and that they all left that to start their own. Yeah, get your Cheerios and your high-altitude balloons. Because where's General Mills located? Battle. No. Isn't that Michigan? It, Kellogg's is Battle Creek, Michigan. Oh, yeah. Um, General Mills might be. Min, it's Minnesota's got a bunch because they got Malto Meal, I know, is in Minnesota. and um, Minneapolis, Minnesota. Yeah. yeah, Minnesota. Yep. So Sioux Falls to Minneapolis probably isn't too far. Yeah. And it's windier, apparently. So. Windier than it is in Minnesota. It's yeah. technically Golden Valley, Minnesota, which is a suburb of Minneapolis. Get it right, Max. All right, Minnesota guy. <laughs> Far from it. Gopher over here. I mean, I, I really don't need to be doing this, but you know why Chicago is the windy <laughs> city, right? Because uh, the Vikings suck and the Lions blow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Come on, you, you heard that <laughs> one before. That one. I thought you were going to do something with like Iowa and Michigan yeah, or yeah. something. No, it's back to the the Packer dad or the uh, NFL dad jokes. So. Dad jokes or bad jokes? Both. Yeah. I think yeah, that they, they, there's a reason it rhymes. It's interchangeable. They, both, they go together, yeah. That was a big thing at our Thanksgiving with my in-laws. I was telling my, dad jokes. My brother-in-law just went off with dad jokes left and right. <laughs> His kids were le- very, not very amused. <laughs> I'm guessing it's an everyday occurrence at their house. Good chance, good chance. Well, great. If you guys like to hear the dad jokes, listen in every week, and please subscribe to the podcast. Tell a farmer friend. Tell a farmer enemy. I don't know. Tell another farmer. I don't care who. And say, hey, this is really good new Tilt Talk radio. Well, we're not very new anymore, so that's good. We're, we're fairly established. So go to Apple Podcasts or on your Android, download Podcast Addict, Podbean, or Player FM. Search Tilt Talk Radio. The other good way to listen is on your computer or smartphone browser. Go to tiltheg.com slash podcast. And you can also follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Tilth Talk Radio. All right. Thanks, Todd. Now it's time for our cool beans. That's corny. So cool beans. Cool beans. Cool beans. Cool beans. Cool beans. All right. This week, our cool beans is the Wisconsin Ag Export Bill signed into law. It was a bipartisan piece of legislation. What, what does that mean? That's bipartisan. A, is that a new thing? It, yes. It's, a, un, it's very rare. Yeah, It's <laughs> yes. when two parties work together <laughs> to do something to good. To do something good. Wow. Never heard of it. <clears throat> so it aimed to increase Wisconsin agricultural exports and has been signed by Governor Tony Evers. Measure creates a new five-year initiative led by the Wisconsin Department of Agriculture in partnership with the Wisconsin Economic Development Corporation to increase the export of the state's dairy, meat, and other agricultural products by 25%. And that is hopefully being accomplished by mid-2026. It was authored by Senator Joan Balwig of Marquezan and Representative Tony Kurtz from Wonowoc. 
The bill specifies that $2.5 million, or half the total funds appropriated, would be used to increase the export sales of milk, cheese, yogurt, whey, and other dairy products. So, got to get those brats and cheese curds out to everybody else, eh? No? No comment on that? No, we don't need to share. Keep them all for ourselves. (laughs) All right, fair enough. Our That's Corny this week is, unfortunately, Uh, our old friend Waterhemp is back. The first dicamba resistant water hemp confirmed in Illinois farmer's field. So you need like a wah 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 sounder, Todd. I mean, I like like Max's like dry heaving in his mouth. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know what? It's what really about sucks right. about this article is usually like this time of year, I don't have to think about water hemp. <laughs> it's like, Christmas. I, don't. I don't want to think about water hemp. Because we get to like May and I'm like, oh, here go my You're kind of right, again. Max, though, is like you sort of. That is one benefit of having the non-growing season part is you just yeah, I you enjoy, get to like... I enjoy my time off from water hemp watch. Like not fear water hemp all the time. There's, <sighs> there's not enough growing degree days right now to germinate that sucker, is there? No. So, so I guess we can... So it's a warm up next week. We can just let EPA do away with <laughs> the dicamba for beans and just go a whole hog into a list. Huh? Well, I was at a farmer meeting this morning and one of the uh, Cortiva reps was there and he said that Minnesota must have just passed the. We could have used this, use this too, but Minnesota just moved the dicamba date back to like June fifteenth. It was like June twenty fifth or something. Sure. July first. Oh, I moved believe. it up. You're saying up? Yeah. yeah. Like, Oof. Like it's less time to use less it. Less time to spray. Yeah. So he's like, just expect that's coming yeah. for the rest of us. Yeah. At the, I mean, yeah. Okay. it was already hard at the current date. It was like right. It, it wasn't like, bad by much, but. Five more days would right. be a be, world of difference, and it doesn't sound like we're gonna, it sounds like we're going to go the other direction yeah. altogether. So, yeah. hmm. all right, well, that'll do it for this week. Thanks for being here, guys. Thanks for having us, Matt. So, this week we talked about what it means to be an independent agronomist. In our spotlight, we looked at CNH Industrial acquiring Raven Industries. A history minute. We talked about the history of Raven Industries. Our cool beans this week was the Wisconsin Ag Export Law, or bill was signed into law. And our that's corny was dicamba-resistant water hemp found in Illinois. Thanks, Illinois. So thanks for listening, and as always, happy farming.